Welcome to Growing Your Collaborative Practice, the marketing podcast for collaborative professionals. Your Growing Your Collaborative Practice host is Joran Jenkins. I'm known as your collaborative marketing coach, and I'm changing the way the world gets divorced. I'm the founder of Open Palm Law, a collaborative family law firm in Tampa, Florida, and the creator of Marketing Your Collaborative Practice Toolkit, a complete step-by-step guide to marketing your collaborative practice. To change the world, you have to reach the world, and I can help you learn to do that. Hi there, this is Joran Jenkins. Today I want to talk to you about um, presenting basics, and I've got with me uh, Austin Sasser, who is uh, one of the interns in my office. I really want to talk about presenting and really just the basics because it is such a critical part of any marketing plan. Um, I call it the third forte of uh, effective marketing. Really, presenting is about coherence. Do you have coherence in your messaging? Are you invited to speak at trainings, at events, on podcasts, on radio shows? Do people seek you out to present because of your ability to connect with a crowd and your passion for your subject matter? Coherence is your ability to communicate your mission and your vision persuasively, to uh, spread the word to more than one person at a time. So the next step in the process of consciously becoming a collaborative uh, champion or a legal influencer is to hone your presentation style. Are you uh, confident in communicating your mission and your vision persuasively? The more knowledge you have about your subject, the more confident you will become. But we all know that people fear public speaking, right? Right. And when I first started public speaking and just generally through school, but also here at Open Palm, it was difficult to get over that fear. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting thing. Um, I actually, you know, I presented presented to juries all the time, not so much today, although in front of judges all the time, but, um, you know, you're, you're in a courtroom and you've got uh, at least two clients in the room and a couple of lawyers and maybe some onlookers, sometimes the, the um, judge's staff. Um, and then, of course, you have the judge and the court clerk and ugh, you know, the court reporter taking down your words as you speak. For some reason, I've never feared that. I, uh, you know, I was thrown in front of juries the pretty much the minute I, not the exact minute, but shortly after I started working for the state attorney. And I, I, I feel like, and this is you know many, many, many years later, but I feel like I never had time to be afraid. Um, right, and the role you, you go into the courtroom and you put on a mask and you're you're in a role, so you're not having to present yourself. Whereas if you're presenting in front of an audience, it's it's solely reflective of you as a person, not as an attorney or as counsel. I hadn't really thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. That's You know, um, you bring up a great point, Austin. So this is kind of a funny story that I don't think I've ever told. Um, I think the point you're making is similar to um, when you're caregiving for someone else, it's a lot easier to... Um, make presentations but that's not exactly what applies in this story so when I was a little girl I mean seven years old my mom um, couldn't find parking 
And so we're in the car together, and my sisters are in the car with us. I'm the oldest girl. And my mother says, I want you to run in the store and tell the owner that you need, you know, whatever it was, two-inch nails, two-inch blah, blah, blah nails. I don't, I don't remember. And I was petrified. I was petrified. I'm seven years old. She's giving me a dollar bill. She's telling me to go buy these seven-inch nails. I had no clue. What, you know, I, I was terrified. She says, take Mickey with you my four-year-old sister. So all of a sudden, believe it or not, uh, it became easy. I hopped out of the car, because I was always taking care of my sisters. I remember when you know I was seven, my mom would say, take, take Mickey and Rima over to the playground. Well, the playground was three blocks away, but I would you know, toddle down the street with my two little sisters, seven years old. I know I was seven, because when we were seven, when I was seven, we moved to New York, and I remember it was in Huntington Beach, California. So I was seven, um, and that's you know where the where the drugstore was that I was buying these nails. I went inside. I remember vividly talking to finding the store owner, finding somebody who had an apron on, and explaining what I needed and buying those damn nails. So you're right when you're. Um, when you're in a role, especially a caregiving role, I think, it becomes much easier to do things that you would never be able to do just for yourself. And the same way, um, presenting who you are in a room, all of a sudden the, the fear of rejection uh, becomes very powerful. So, yeah, you're, you're right. Many people fear public speaking. And in fact, when I found out that that this was something that I really needed to get a handle on. I went and I hired a, um, a trainer, if you will, someone who uh, trains people to speak in public. And, oh my gosh, I think uh, his fee for, you know, the ambit of uh, the full scope of his uh, training was $20,000, something like that. Wow. Yeah, I know. I, but I was willing to pay it because I was terrified. And I knew that in order to do what I wanted to do with um, my family practice, my collaborative family practice, I really was going to have to be able to present in a room to more than one person, more than one-on-one, because, you know, one-on-one is a very tedious process. If you can talk to 100 people at a time, you can get a lot more done, right? Yep. So, um, So I paid this guy, and we met. I think it was the third time that we met, and I was doing some of the stuff he told me to do, but I wasn't doing the thing, which was take your cell phone, put it on record, you know, video, and record yourself telling me about the collaborative process um, and, and send that to me. And I never did that. So uh, we're sitting in his office, and I'm, you know, he's, he's behind his desk, and he holds his cell phone out to me, and he says, I'm going to press record, and you're going to tell me what you want to tell me. And the first three times he did that, I just got flustered. That's the best way to explain it. I, I know I turned red. I just blah, 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 what? And, and... The fourth time he did it, before I started to do it, he said, what are you going to say? And I started to tell him, and instead he held the, the phone up in front of me, and he recorded me saying what I thought I was going to try and tell him I was going to say. And we got done, and he showed me the video, and it was 
It was horrible. It didn't matter. It was horrible, but it didn't matter, um, especially on a cell phone. But um, it was in that moment that I realized, wait a second, this really isn't that hard. I can do this talking to a cell phone. One of the tricks that I've learned is um, when you're when you're presenting, look a little, there are two things actually. If you're presenting to a camera, look behind the camera at the person. And if there's no person there, pretend there's a person there. You're talking to the person just behind the camera. The other thing to do, um, let's see if I can remember where I was going with that. Um, when you're in a room with a bunch of people, what I like to do ahead of time is circulate, say hi, introduce myself, do maybe my elevator pitch, maybe get a little of my social pitch out there, connect with people. If there are people that I know in the room, find them in the audience. And then when you're presenting, I don't care if it's for 10 minutes or it's for an hour, um, find those people and lock eyes. You're talking to people you know. Even if you've only met them 10 minutes before, you're talking to all 100 people. But if you lock eyes with one person, no one person in the room knows that that's who you're talking to. They feel like you're talking to them. And it does. It makes it a lot easier and it makes your audience a lot more receptive, I think. And it's such a it's a much better way to present than the old, you know, pretend that everyone's naked or look into the back <laughs> of the room above the heads because when you're presenting eye contact matters a lot yeah, yeah it, does. it really can makes a connection between you as the presenter and the audience as yeah the receiver of the information you're wanting to to tell yeah i think you're right that connection um there's something about body language that changes a little bit when you're actually talking to a person um, and, and as I said that, I gestured at Austin and I was waving my, pointing my finger. And I mean, it really, and he's across the room at the other microphone. It really does make a difference. One of the, um, the other ways to overcome the fear of, of speaking is to practice often. So whatever your content is, I mean, I know a lot of people really like to use PowerPoints, and we'll talk about PowerPoints, um, not later today probably, but at some point when we we um, get delving deeper into um, presentation. PowerPoints are wonderful. I love them because they keep me on track and I tend to get off track because I, you know, 40 years of practice, you tend to have stories that you want to tell. I got to figure out where to work the nail story into my, <laughs> my scripts from now on. But um, you, if you know your content, then you're not, the PowerPoint is no longer a crutch. So know your content and use your PowerPoint as your outline. But the more comfortable that you are with your content, the better able you are to deliver it calmly and thoroughly. And you may feel more at ease with having a written script, but you can't read directly from it because everyone in the room will know that that's what you're doing because you're then not making contact. Um, you use a written script maybe to refresh your memory, but if you really know your content, you don't need a written script. You just need an outline, and your PowerPoint can be your outline. In fact, I often recommend to people, and see now I'm talking about PowerPoints, and oh, I know I'll cover it later too, but in PowerPoints, I often recommend put cartoons in there, put images in there, put pictures. People are attracted to pictures. Don't put words because they'll be busy reading your words. 
Not at, listening. Not listening. Yeah, right. exactly. Any words that you have should be down below in the in the space that only you can see. And because that space is limited, you make it an outline. Oh, right away. Yeah. yeah. And in high school, I actually was on forensic, so speech team, competing, doing all of that, went to state. But the foundation of that, at least the events that I did, was memorizing a script. So right. five, six page, double space document, memorize it. It's about eight minutes. Um and the big part of that process is sitting with that paper, saying it over and over and over again in your head, out loud, in your basement. I remember hours and hours I would spend reciting this eight-minute speech. And it really comes down to when you implement that memorization, you have to go and stand in front of your teammates or your staff and present. Right. You need to do it because you if you don't practice. do it, when you're presenting at... Uh, the official presentation, it shouldn't be the first time you've run through that script. Oh my gosh, no. No, because you're also going to get feedback if you practice it. And the feedback is critical to helping you hone your presentation skills. Um, Yeah, I I truly believe that's true. But also, it's that um, practice helps, but knowing your content helps keep you calm. You know what you're presenting. You know, maybe you know how much time you have to do it. I mean, one thing that's difficult about podcasting is we tend to lose track of the time. And so, you know, you and I have agreed that you're going to let me know when we, you know, when half an hour is close to being done, because I can talk till I'm blue in the face and not realize how much time has gone by. Um, And that's a problem. That's why sometimes it's good to make sure that there's a clock at the end of the room when you're presenting. Um, Often your PowerPoint will have a clock on the screen. Depending on your age, you may need to wear glasses to see the clock. But, you know, be comfortable with your audience. Tell your audience, you know, I want to respect your time. You know, you gave me half an hour to present, so I will be checking the time. And then you can look at your watch. You can look at the, the time. You can look around for the clock. Be comfortable with your audience. They are all people. I can't remember. I can't um, tell you how many times I've criticized my presentation because I forgot something that I really wanted to share, uh, you know, something that I wanted to include. And realized afterwards, no one in the audience knew that I'd forgotten it. They were fine with my presentation. I can't tell you how many times I've presented and I've been unhappy with my presentation. And I've had, you know, 10, 15 people mob me afterwards to thank me and tell me how wonderful it was. I mean, just look at politicians. We don't have to agree with what they say, but they're good about telling it. Yeah. And they can and they can relate with the audience. Yeah. And it at some point it becomes a matter of that connection. It's your speaking style. So when you do practice, maybe in front of your staff, you're more comfortable. So when you go through it, your natural humor, your natural personal style True. comes out. And then so you'll I'm, be more prepared. I'm not recommending really that you memorize it. I, I understand why you did. First of all, I think when we're much younger it's easier to memorize longer things. Um, and it's true that I, I totally recommend memorizing your social pitch. Uh, and we've talked about that a little bit already. But you do need to know your content. And, and I don't think you can, I mean, I have um, 
what, 20 different presentations that I do. Each one is about an hour long, so, you know, that's a lot of content. But if you're comfortable with your content, that's that's exactly what you want. And, you know, the older you get, the more stories you have in your content. Personal stories help you connect. That personal um, uh, speaking style that, that Austin mentioned, I think he's absolutely correct about that. It enables you to be enthusiastic and informative. You know, tell jokes if that's part of your personality, but don't tell jokes if it's not, because then you're just forcing it and that's not your real style. Think of it this way. You're not lecturing. You don't want to be a talking head. You're conversing. It just happens to be with 100 people at the same time. So ask questions. You may not get hands held up. In fact, you don't necessarily need to. If you want them, you can call on people, call on the people that you happen to know in the audience. If you want to do that, I would warn them ahead of time. But you can also just ask questions to make people think. If you do that, wait. Give them time to think about how they might answer you if they had that opportunity. So by asking questions or suggesting things instead of just informing people, you're involving people in your in your uh, discussion. You're involving the audience. Um, and it so may also be really beneficial to um, let the audience know feel free to send me an email after this presentation if you have an individual question because not everyone feels comfortable standing and asking a question in front of 100 people. That's so true. And individual questions are often not beneficial to the group. Yeah, that's true too. It may be a very personal type question, personal to a, a case they have, you know, personal to a situation that they're in that they don't think has happened. It may simply be you only have half an hour and so you've asked them to limit their questions to the end. I, I often tell people, and this is also a basic of presentations, decide if you want all the questions at the end and tell your audience at the beginning that that's what the plan is. You know, part of presentation, and when we get to PowerPoints, I'll talk about this, you give your um, audience the roadmap. So it's tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. And then you also need, at the end, a call to action. So um, that call to action might be, uh, if you have any other questions, please feel free to contact me at, as I do in, in many of these podcasts, I, you know, contact, I'm Joran at JoranJenkins.com, or you can find me on the web at JoranJenkins.com. That's the call to action that you should remember to include. I was talking to one of my coaching clients today, and she said, I can't seem to get people to um, respond to my reach outs at the end of my presentations. And I said, well, tell me what your call to action is. And she didn't know what I was talking about. And I said, Sarah, if you don't tell people to email you, it won't occur to them, probably. If you invite them to email you, that's a call to action. So, but you have to be specific. So if you're looking for more collaborative cases, tell them, remember, I'm Sarah at blah, 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 and I want to be your financial neutral. So please include me, reach out to me. I'm happy. And if you have a question about, uh, you know, finances in a collaborative divorce or even in your litigation, please reach out to me. I'm happy to help. Right. You can't expect um, to see results from unasked 
requests. Right, right. I think that's a life lesson. You know, in it's and it's funny. It's so funny because I think I was. Well, it's really only in the last year or so. I think Austin, you actually saw it happen. I finally realized that I had to have a call to action in everything I was producing, in the pitches, in the publishing, in the blogs, in the presentations. I've now been very careful to add my call to action everywhere. And my whole staff knows it too. So they know that if they're creating something that's going to go out there, that they need to include my call to action. I mean, just in general, if you want to Uh, improve your own presentations or blogs or podcasts, you truly need to look to others and gain experience, gain insight of how they're going about ending their presentations. Because, you know, if you go on any major newspaper article, at the end, it always says, if you have any inquiries about this, feel free to reach out to us. You have to look at the people who are successful if you want to be successful. So one of the first things that I used to teach in trial practice was the first time at the latest, the first time you go to see a judge in action is when you are scheduled to present in front of that judge. The first time you're going to have a hearing, the first time you're going to have a a trial. And you go and you just sit in the courtroom and (laughs) the judge's staff may come and ask you, the bailiff may come and say, can I help you? <laughs> but you, what you say is, well, I've I've got um, I've got a case in front of Judge Green, and I want to make sure that I understand what he is going to want from his the lawyers who appear in front of him. But what you're also doing is you're watching the other attorneys and how they behave in that courtroom, in that audience, in front of that audience. So you get a lot of pointers that way. And I think um, Austin makes a fabulous point that you should purposely go out and watch people that you would like to be like. If there's a guy out there who's presenting on your topic or a similar topic or has a presentation style that you admire, now go re-watch him and see what is it about his presentation style that you admire and respect. And pull those elements and incorporate them into your own. He may have a different presentation style. So keep that in mind and practice in front of your friends and see what works for you. Let them critique you and your staff, but call what you can. So if he's that guy who always remembers his call to action, what's his call to action sound like? Maybe you like it better than the one that you've already written for yourself. Your call to action is something that you will memorize. Whatever it may be for any given presentation, it's something that you will have to know cold because it should just roll off the tongue. You should not stumble over your call to action. Right, and although it's important to watch presentations from professionals in your niche, it's also valuable to watch other types of presentations. For instance, TED Talks. You send them to us all the time. And the value in watching how someone presents themselves not just a topic, but themselves, right. really shows that they are an expert in what they're doing. Right. And that's the way, that's what you want to do when you're right. presenting. Right. Well, and the interesting thing about TED Talks is those, uh, the ones that we've seen are all videoed. Mm-hmm. Um, and free. Right. They're free. You can sign up for the app and you can tell the app what types of TED Talks you would like to see. I just find them very, very insightful. So once a week I get a recommendation and 
often it's perfect for me because I've told them what I like to watch. Um, sometimes not so much, but you know that's fine too. And then uh, you can use those for content as well. You're an expert in whatever your niche is. You are an expert, even if I'm, uh, if you're a lawyer listening to me, and we can't really call ourselves experts unless you know we specialize in something. Depends on where you practice, but but from a layperson's perspective, you're the expert. And the more knowledgeable you are about your area of expertise the more comfortable you will feel while you're presenting on it. So I remember when I first started presenting on body language and come on, everyone's an expert on body language because we all do it. But there's a TED talk on body language that is so worth watching. And gal who presents it, uh, her name escapes me right now, but she's easy to find. Just look for body language TED talks and you'll find her right away. She's the first one that comes up. Her talk on body language, if you really want to be a good presenter, is so insightful because body language and your audience go together. I mean, you use body language. You will use what works for you. And again, that goes back to practicing, but you will use what works for you to help you connect with your audience. And connecting with your audience is powerful, powerful stuff. If you're trying to sell them something, and by sell, I just mean marketing, by communicating your passion, then body language will help draw them in and sell them the product that you're trying to sell them. What are the basics of a presentation? I mean, if you were to tell me part A, part B, part C, D, what do I need to know? basically about present well i kind of i kind of talked about it before you tell Mm -hmm. them what you're going to tell them tell them and then tell them what you told them but really you've you've got to have an opening that draws in the listener so maybe it's um maybe you're quoting them some outrageous statistics maybe you're asking uh some questions something that draws them in you give them a preview of what you're going to tell them i often with that with a powerpoint i will put those words up on the screen because i will have a this is a five-part presentation and here's what you're going to see it's just a couple of words for each part then you give them the body of the presentation you may be doing some interacting with the audience during that or maybe right after if you left purposely left time for questions then that's your interaction with the audience then you give them a summary of what the audience should have learned so that's you tell them what you told them and then you have a closing Um, a closing that hopefully leaves the audience inspired sometimes that's a quote from someone important maybe it's a quote from yourself believe it or not I have come up with a number of quotes uh, several of which are trademarked and which other people quote me on um, which is quite lovely (laughs) (laughs) and uh, and part of that closing of course is a call to action but you kind of want to leave your audience wanting more because that makes your call to action more powerful. If you leave them wanting more, and then you tell them, by the way, they can get in touch with you or find more of your whatever at your website, then now you've empowered them to go find more and to find it by contacting you, which is very, very powerful. And it really communicates your passion and gets them enrolled in your passion. Hopefully, if you're really doing magic, you've got everyone who leaves your presentation going home and emailing 10, 15, 20 people because they want to they wanna share with those people what you've shared with them, maybe sending them 
your website link and saying, you really need to see this, um, whatever, you know, this may be your posters or, or if you've posted your presentation, you know, uh, YouTube, here's this gal, I saw her today, you really need to go the next time she's presenting on such and such. Those uh, types of reach outs after a presentation are magic. And we've talked about marketing um, with social media, with other methods, but truly, I mean, this goes back to this dawn of time. Word of mouth is very powerful because it comes from somebody who means something to you. Yeah. And that has value in itself. So when you're presenting, you give your call to action, you are um, enabling people to market you at such a personal level that... I would be shocked you don't see some form of a return on that. Right. And and the fact that you connected with them by speaking to them each is very powerful. The interesting thing is that many people, once a really good presenter has presented to them and then they start spreading the word, they feel like they're doing their referrals a favor by introducing you to them. And the referrals feel like they've been done a favor, but really they've done you the favor. There's a lot more about presentations. We'll talk about that in the future. We are just covering the basics of the five fortes of effective marketing at this point, but this podcast series will include a lot more on presentations. So If you enjoyed this episode of the Growing Your Collaborative Practice podcast, please take a second to leave a review and a rating on your preferred listening app. I'd really appreciate that. If you have any questions or comments or would like more information on my books, my webinars, my masterclasses, my toolkit, or my coaching services, please don't hesitate to reach out to me at joran at joranjenkins.com or you can visit my website at joranjenkins.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk soon.